Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Good morning, Pleasant Valley. It's a joy to get to gather together with you, saints, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Today, we are going to be addressing the question, how can you say there is one true faith? Um, I'm probably going to offend more people with my introduction uh, than I am the rest of my sermon. Um, So I, it cracks me up, some of the fringy beliefs that people have. Um, I'm not going to name names, Jameis, but uh, but some people believe in Bigfoot, okay? Um, and some of you are going to be offended by this. I don't believe in Bigfoot. Uh, me and Jameis can argue back and forth about it. Um, but uh, Bigfoot is one of those things that always cracks me up uh, because every person that has ever had a, a conversation with me uh, about Bigfoot always has a clutch video or picture that proves that Bigfoot is real. And the pictures, what's amazing is you can never catch it in high definition 4K on an iPhone. It's always a blurry uh, a video of some kind of a, of a figure running between trees. Or uh, I remember the one uh, that was, you know, they had all these Bigfoot shows. And I remember the one video that they claim proves Bigfoot. And it was literally this, these guys videoing uh, out in the woods. And all of a sudden they hear this like screeching noise in the middle of the woods and like, <gasps> It's, it's Bigfoot, and they, like, freak out because they're saying this is the clutch. I'm like, you could have sent your buddy Joe out there, and he could be screaming in the woods. Like, how does that prove Bigfoot? But anyway, I'm not going to get off on that too far. Um, but, you know, there's other things, too, uh, like the Loch Ness Monster. Um, that's, a, that's a fascinating myth. There's probably a lot of you in here that are like, well, what about Nessie? She's real, you know? And, um, and so some of you probably believe some of this stuff, but I just, the, the fringy beliefs crack me up. And I remember one time we were riding in an Uber uh, in Oklahoma with all the pastors from Pleasant Valley. And uh, I was in the front seat. And of course, I feel this, a little bit of this pressure, like all the pastors are in the back. I've got the Uber driver right here. And it's like, John, if you don't share the, I, I'd only been here for like a year. And I was like, if you don't share the gospel with this guy, like they're all going to judge you. So immediately I felt this pressure. I need to share the gospel with this guy. So we start talking and he starts, you know, I ask him all these questions about, you know, does he go to church? What does he believe about sin? What does he believe about God? And he's just, I mean, just rambling about a hundred different things. And in the middle of it, he's like, he says this phrase, he says, and of course it's because the earth is flat. And then he just keeps moving. And I went, it's because of, of course, what? Like the earth is flat. Like what? Hold on. Hold on. Let's back up to that real quick. But anyway, my point in all of this is that when you really look at our consumption in life, if you look at your consumption, my consumption in life, we, know, we will notice uh, that there is all kinds of information that we take from Instagram, from news stations, from books, from articles, and we consume all of this information. And one of the things that gets really exhausting 
sifting is sifting through that information to figure out what is right, what is wrong, what is incorrect, what is true, what is false. And it gets really exhausting. And so many of us in this room right now are exhausted by that. Some of us rightfully have put away our phones and social media, and some of us have, have stopped listening to certain news stations uh, because we, we started to poke holes in what they were saying, and, and we just don't know what to believe. And, and some of us in this room are also wrestling with doubts, doubts about what you believe, about your faith, about who God is, and that's okay. This is a safe place to, to wrestle with doubts, and hopefully today will be encouraging. But hopefully today... Hopefully today, what we all walk out of this room with is a confidence in the objective truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I hope we walk out with, standing on a firm foundation, not a, not a sandy foundation, but a rock foundation, a rocky foundation that, that we can stand firm on the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we will long for that for other people in our life. So our main point today proclaiming that there is objective truth and a and one truth and a one true faith is an act of love. So today we're going to be looking at a, a book of the Bible that is probably uh, foreign to some of us. It was it, I had never done any extensive study on this book before, but it's the book of 3 John. So if you want to flip to 3 John, we're going to be there. I won't name a chapter because there's not one. Uh, there is one chapter, and it is just the book of 3 John. And it's very short, very brief, but it's really a, a very, very fascinating story behind the purpose of the book of 3 John. So this letter was written by John, the son of Zebedee. So he is the author of the fourth gospel of John. Interestingly, the main evidence that they have for why they believe this is that same John that wrote the book of John is because the literary, uh, the way it was, the, the literature, the way it was written in this literary style it was written in is so similar to the book of John that it cannot be argued otherwise. Like many, many, many commentators and theologians agree that this is that John who authored this book. Now, this book is, is very, very short, but it has a very specific message to a leader of the church. His name is Gaius. Okay, so Gaius was actually, it's really interesting. I would say who Gaius is, but we don't have any other evidence of who he is. There's a lot of arguments for different famous Gaiuses from back during this time, but it turns out that the name Gaius was actually the most common name back then in the Roman Empire. So we can't really say for certain exactly. We know he's a leader of the church. We know he is a teacher. He is te he's teaching truth. And there is some evidence that says that this is most likely a church in Ephesus. Now, if that's the case, the church at Ephesus was a, a, very, it was a melting pot of religions, of cultures. This city was a melting pot of nationalities. It was a very diverse place, but it was also a, a hub for prosperity. It was a trade route. It was a place that had, they had lots of uh, success. And so uh, in this place, there was a lot of different religions. There was different philosophies. And one of those that was on the rise during this time was Gnosticism. So Gnosticism, it starts with a G, if you've never seen it written, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, -S, so the Gnostics. This, their foundational root was actually in the word gnosis, which is a Greek word that means knowledge. So this is knowledge. Now, I'll sum up their beliefs, just really simple definition for you here. Gnosticism 
is a religious mysticism that pirated Christian motifs to propagate an understanding of salvation based on esoteric knowledge. Okay, so let's pray. Um, so uh, I read that definition like 17 times, and then finally it, it started to kind of started to pull some meaning out of it. Uh, so basically, the the main focus of this is the last part: salvation based on esoteric knowledge. Now, uh, esoteric this word comes from the word soteriology, soter meaning salvation, and so uh, this is a saving knowledge. In other words, a special knowledge that they thought the Gnostics thought: if I gain this special knowledge, then I will gain salvation. And this was a predominant religious belief back then, but they were very much against the church because they believed they were searching for the one truth, the one faith. But Christians were saying, no, there is no other gospel. There is no other truth outside of Jesus. So they were, in many ways, enemies of the church. And so when John writes to Gaius, he is encouraging him because a lot of these enemies were coming after the church, trying to convert Christians away from the one true faith and gospel in Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna see some encouragement from John today. Point number one, if you love someone, then you will long for them to believe in objective truth. If you love someone then you will long for them to believe in objective truth. Verse one, John says, the elder to the beloved Gaius. So he refers to himself as the elder. This is to to basically put an emphasis on his mentor to mentee relationship with Gaius, whom I love, beloved. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be good in health as it goes well with your soul, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. So this relationship, John gives us a a picture of this relationship that is so beautiful where he says to Gaius, whom I love in truth, he then calls him beloved. We're seeing behind the scenes of their relationship, this, this almost father to son relationship. And he says, whom I love in truth, this was a phrase back then to say, I truly love you. It is a fact that I love you 100%. We would say to someone in our life, we'd say, I love you so much. That would be our cultural way of, of emphasizing the love we have for someone. So this relationship is very beautiful and it finds its foundation in Christ. The way John speaks to Gaius is much the same way that Jesus speaks over his children, my beloved those in whom I love, the bride of Christ. This relationship is imaging the relationship that Christ has to the church, and we see it in John's, uh, in the way John articulates this to Gaius. Now, John, right here, he says, I pray that that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul, in verse two. Now, why is John talking about his his health, his physical health. Well, he is rejoicing, verse three, that that, uh, brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. So when he talks about his health and well-being, his physical health, he's saying here, one, he's truly concerned for him. He loves him. He wants him to be well. So he loves him. We see this, this love coming out. But then at the same time, he says, but it sounds like your soul is in a great place right now. So he says, as it goes well with your soul. He's hoping that, man, I hope you're healthy because it sounds like physically healthy because it sounds like spiritually you are in a great spot. 
Now, what is the evidence that Gaius is in a great spot? It says, because he is walking in the truth. Now, we're going to talk about this word walking in a second, but that he is in the truth. He says that your truth, he says, they came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. Now, we're going to talk about who testified this in just a minute. But for now, focus on this. Your truth is not the same phrase as what you and I think of. When we're on social media and we've heard this phrase like, you go girl, speak your truth. That's not what this means, okay? So, so this is not like the, the your truth that we're talking about today. What John is saying here is that the truth you are proclaiming, when you're standing on the stage and you're preaching to people, the truth you are declaring is the same as the truth. So in other words, Gaius has not wavered from the truth of the gospel the one true faith that is found in Jesus Christ. Guys, his soul is doing well clearly because he is walking daily in the truth. His truth is wrapped up with God's truth, the one truth. And this is why he can say with confidence that his soul is in a good spot. That these people that, that are testifying to this to John, we, we don't know exactly who they are yet. We're going to talk about them in a second. But, but these people who are testifying to Gaius's spiritual health, they describe him as a person who is in the truth. And when you love someone, this is what we long for them. To know truth, to be in the truth. So when we love someone, we don't just let them go through their life believing whatever they want we ultimately bring them back to life, soul-saving gospel truth. If you love someone, you point them to objective truth. And, and the opposite of this is the world we live in today says, actually, how you love someone or care for someone is just encourage them in whatever. Allow them to walk in whatever beliefs they want. Speak your truth. That's the message today is that there is no objective truth. And what's, what's scary about that is that they are blinded in the lies of this world and they will be blinded unto destruction. And if you love someone, you don't want that for them. I remember one time, Emily and I, uh, my wife and I were driving in Louisville. This was a long, long, long time. She probably doesn't even remember this, but I had, a, I had this old car. Um, I, I, I drove it for many, many years. My one criticism of the car was the, the, the windows were just, there just wasn't great visibility in the car. The windows were kind of small. Um, I, I love this car, but it, but it, you know, I drove it till basically it died. But, um, but this car was wonderful, except that, you know, where the, the windshield of your car meets this bar right here, and then your, your driver's side window is here. Well, that bar was really big. It was just, it was, it kind of was a blind spot. And I remember one time we were in Louisville. This is such a small story. Emily probably doesn't even remember this, but it's seared in my brain because it scared me to death. Is that I was, I was turning left off of Bardstown Road. And if you know anything about driving in Louisville, my goodness, we sometimes complain about Frederica. <laughs> anyway, so when you're turning left on, on, off of Bardstown Road, you know, the bar is moving like this as you're turning. Well, it just so happens right behind that bar was a guy on a motorized wheelchair and he was moving at the same speed. Now, he had the right-of-way. I had a green light, but he had the right-of-way because he had the walk sign on, all that stuff. He is moving at the same speed as this bar as I'm turning. And I, and I get, I mean, I'm probably five or six feet from him, and Emily exclaims. She goes, John, like that. 
And it, and it and it scared me. I slammed on brakes, and then I and then I look around the 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 bar of this car, and and I'm like five feet from this guy in this wheelchair. Now, what's scary about this story? What if Emily wasn't there, or, or what if she didn't see it either? What what if she was also dazing off somewhere else, think you know, looking at a restaurant or or pedestrians or something like that? And I had actually hit this guy with my car. Like in that moment, my life could have been completely different. And that's why it's seared into my brain. He could have easily gotten seriously injured and sued me and I'd be paying off debt the rest of my life. It could have been even worse. Maybe I'd go to jail for it. Like it could have literally changed the course of my life. That 30, that, that 15 second window that I was making a turn could have changed everything in my life. And yet my wife did not stay silent. She saw it, she yelled, she called out what was wrong with that situation. And this is not different than the people in our lives who are believing lies. That they are blinded, they are blinded and their trajectory is a place of destruction. If we have the kind of love that John has for Gaius, then we long for this for the people in our life. We long to speak the truth, to not be silent on the truth. The truth of the gospel says that there is one way. And Jesus says it in John 14, 6. He says, I, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We need to have that truth on our lips and ready for the people in our life. We need to crave, because we love them so much, we need to crave that they believe the truth of the gospel. But sometimes we choose comfort. We choose safety. We choose ourselves, to be quite honest, instead of saying what needs to be said. Point number two, if you love someone, then you will long for them to walk in truth. Now, this is very similar to the first one, that, that Gaius was walking in the truth, but then Third John verse four says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. The truth. Now, when he says that, he's referring to the church. He's referring to the people that Gaius is leading. He's rejoicing that the leader of this church is walking in truth. But then now he's, he's even more encouraged that the children, the people of the church are walking in truth. He says, there is no greater joy than to hear of this because here's the reality. It's just like that hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Every single one of us have a tendency to wander from the truth of Jesus Christ. And here's a, a scary reality. There's an enemy that's talked about throughout all of the scriptures, and his name is Satan, the devil, the accuser, the deceiver. He is an enemy. Even in Genesis chapter three, if we go all the way back to the beginning of time, we have an enemy who does not want God's people to walk in truth. And you could make an argument that Adam and Eve were walking in truth before Genesis chapter three, that they had an intimate, unadulterated relationship with God. They believed in the truth that God was enough for them and they were satisfied in him. They believed in this truth. And then when God gave them a command, he spoke, God's words are true. He says, do not eat of this tree or you will surely die. And Satan comes in and listen to what he says. He says, did God really say, you won't surely die? And immediately they believed a lie and that lie led to sin and it led to death and destruction. 
This is what Satan longs for in the church, and we all have a proneness to wander away from the truth of God's word. In uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul takes a different approach than 3 John, than John does, because, because apparently things at this church in Ephesus were going really well. They were walking in truth, but much the opposite was happening in the church at Galatia. And he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, is he astonished that they're turning to a different gospel? No, he's astonished by how quickly they are turning to a different gospel. They are giving in to false teaching. So if the church at Galatia can quickly desert the gospel of Jesus, so can we. And Satan is working actively on a daily basis to come against the church. Satan wants the church to live in lies. He wants us to be divided over lies. He wants us to to be divided over, over false gospel. And ultimately, we need to be people who walk in truth. And what I mean by this there's a, there's a passage in Deuteronomy about the family, and it talks about the children, that when you lie down, keep the truth in front of your children. When you go about your day, keep the commands of God in front of your children. And, and the point of that is just saying, we are a people prone to wander. We have a sin nature in us, and oftentimes we will take our eyes off of Christ and place it on other things. So the scary thing in our lives is, is where have we at times prone, we've walked away from the truth of God's word and we've lived in the lies of the world or been distracted by other things that have taken a priority to the truth of the word of God. And so when he says walk in truth, walking is a phrase they use throughout the scriptures to describe a day-to-day activity. It's a day after day after day thing that we need to be walking in the truth of the gospel, the one true faith, because we are prone to wander. Now, I'm going to point out three different spheres in your life, three different spheres where Satan attacks. Satan wants you to believe lies and where we need to walk in the truth, we need to guard the truth. And the first one is the family, the family unit. This is where Satan weasels in lies all the time. And so I'm gonna speak to the fathers in this room. You are the spiritual leader of your home. You are to protect your family, not just from physical dangers, some of you have that. You've got your ring, uh, your ring camera out front and you've got your pistol in your bedside table. You've got that. And you think that's enough. It's, it's not enough to be tough, to be strong-handed. That's not enough. Fathers, you are to spiritually lead your families. That means that you must personally be walking in the truth every single day. And at the same time, you also need to be, and this is hard for many of us dads in this room, you need to be a safe place for your children. You need to be ready and you need to make yourself available for your children to confess sin to you so that you can then walk them to the gospel. 
And when your, sin, when, your, when your child comes and confesses sin to you, instead of your first response being discipline, it should be love and grace and compassion. Because here's the reality. Discipline is not going to change your child's heart towards pornography. Jesus Christ can do that. Be a listener. Be a receiver. Be a comfortable place for your children to come so that they can say all the lies that they're believing and then you can say, here's the truth of the gospel. Fathers, be the leader of your home. Walk in truth personally but also engage with your kids in spiritual conversation. I remember uh, one of my favorite moments, uh, and it sticks out in my mind with, with my dad, and, and uh, we weren't always great about spiritual conversations when I was growing up, but one of my favorite things uh, that, uh, one of my favorite moments, and I remember it sticks out in my brain so clearly, is when my dad told me one time, he was like, he was like isn't it cool how the whole Old Testament points to Jesus? I went, does it? I didn't know that. And, and all of a sudden, it was like, I just thought the Old Testament was a bunch of laws and rules and, and standards for us to live by. And I had no idea. That, and then I started reading the Old Testament. I'm like, yes, Dad, holy cow. Like this one moment that we had where you said this truth out loud, all of a sudden, I'm seeing Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament. And it was such a beautiful moment. But that was a moment where my dad led me in understanding God's truth, his word. Fathers, let's do that. Let's lead our families in that way. The, the next thing is, is the church. The church comes under attack. We know this from Galatians chapter one, verse six. But what we have in place here at Pleasant Valley, and I'm just kind of letting you guys behind the curtain a little bit, we have this thing that we call a plurality of elders. The scripture lays out qualified men who are elders and pastors of the church. And one of our primary responsibilities is to protect the church from false teaching. So you can imagine it this way. Within our church, we have Christ as the senior pastor of our church. He is the one at the cornerstone of our church. He is at the foundation of everything we do. But then you can almost picture our elders being together, linking arms around the body of Christ as a protective shield. That is our goal, is to keep false teaching from being propagated within the church. And so we take the responsibility of guarding things like curriculums and, and, uh, and discussion guides and sermons that we preach on Sundays. We want to protect the, the, the truth of the gospel within our church. And then the second thing we have is we have this thing called membership. So if you're a member at Pleasant Valley Community Church, you went through a rigorous process of uh, a class. It's not that rigorous. Sorry, Andy. Um, but the membership process is basically a, a, a discover class, then it's a belong class, and then you have a pastoral interview to become a member at our church. And one of the reasons we do that is to guard the body of Christ. When I was growing up, my church would, uh, you know, everybody who walked down and said, I want to be a member of this church, we voted them in. In that moment, we had no clue who they were, their background. They could be Mormon for all we knew. And they were members of our church. And, and we would say, well, only members can lead Sunday school classes. And it's like, oh, yeah, I actually I believe in Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, and they were in Sunday school classes teaching. And, and it's like, and, and we want to guard that. That's why membership is a longer process, because we want to hear where your heart is, what's your relationship with Christ, so that when we put people in leadership positions at the church, we are guarding truth. We also guard the preaching of God's word. And, and I invite, and I love this, I love hearing feedback about my preaching. Just only the good stuff. 
But no, but seriously, like I've had moments before where I preach a sermon in a nine o'clock service and I go out the back and, and a dear member comes up to me and says, hey, you said this, don't do that. And I'm like, why? And they're like, yeah, don't say that. That's, that wasn't helpful. Like that was, that was unclear. Like if you shift it to this, it'd be better. And I did, I went in my notes and I shifted. It's like, oh man, that was beautiful. Watch me, watch my teaching. Keep me accountable that whatever I preach is according to the word of God and it's not John's gospel. Well, that's, that's unhelpful. Make sure that it's not John's words that are the authority, but that it is the word of God that is the authority in our church. And then the last one is self. We've got to move a little faster here. The last one is self. The personal battle that we do every single day within ourselves, we must be in the word. We must be studying God's word on a daily basis so that because wandering from truth is always on the horizon, even for a Christian Wandering from the truth is always on the horizon. We must be corrected by God's word back to objective truth, the one true faith in Jesus Christ. We must be in his word. And this is my, my only warning, my only specific one. Be careful about devotions. Be careful about celebrity pastors that you listen preach on Instagram. Be careful that you don't just take what they say and it becomes part of your belief system. Make sure you are in the unadulterated word of God. Don't rely only on devotions and other people writing uh, uh, things on scripture. Be in the word. And then accountability, of course, have people in your life that know you, know your life, and can help you when you start believing lies about who you are. Point number three, if you love the lost, then you will go contend for the truth with a lot of grace. If you love the lost, then you will go contend for the truth with a lot of grace. Verse five, he continues this trend of his love for Gaius, and he says, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, which is Jesus Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So John is encouraged. These Apparently, these were like missionaries. They were people who go out into the world and they speak truth out in a dark world. And what's happened is they went to visit this church and they spent some time with Gaius and he was probably hospitable to them. They saw his life, his ministry. They probably heard him preach. And so what's happened is, is he's saying, he's encouraging John, hey, let's send them out the right way. He says, in a manner worthy of God. In other words, give them what they need so they can go out and contend for truth. They can go out and preach the gospel to the lost. They can go, go out and have these back and forth conversations with the, with the Gnostics, with the pagan religions, so that they have everything they need to do this all-important work. And then it says this, verse seven, it says, uh, they, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Now, what this means is that he's saying support them financially, give them everything that they need, but look, they said no to the Gentiles. Now, I don't, according to the context and commentators, what is, what is suspected here is that there was a group of either Gnostics or, or a group of, of other philosophers who were giving them money and saying, hey, we'll give this to you, but you need to adjust what you're teaching. You need to change the truth that you're teaching. And they basically said, no, we don't, we don't want your money. We want you to believe truth. 
So they, they were saying no to compromising on the truth of the gospel. Uh, instead of leaning more into the Gnosticism way, they leaned more into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they said no to any financial help because they weren't going to be bribed into changing their convictions. And, and, John, and John is so encouraged by this that he's like, he's like, that we may be fellow workers of the truth. Let's give them everything we need, but let's be encouraged as well to go and contend for the truth. So in the scriptures, there are multiple passages in the book of Jude that command us to contend for the gospel. And so that's why when we hear this question, how can you say there is only one truth, one, obdre- one uh, true faith? The reason why we can say it is because we are called to by God, commanded by God to go out into the world and to contend for the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. We are commanded to go. And for some of us, that's where we need to rest today. Some of us, we have sat on the sidelines for far too long and avoided gospel conversations with lost people. We have have played the safe road for a long time. We've avoided that coworker. We've avoided that person, that that mom at the co-op. We've avoided having that conversation at the grocery store because it's gonna be uncomfortable. And so for some of us, this is where we need to stop that we need to be workers for the truth. We need to go and have that hard conversation. And I want to be clear about this. I don't mean getting up on a stage and having a debate with the local atheist. Okay, that's not what, I, I don't think that's what God is calling the vast majority of Christians to do. But what he is calling us to do is when we're standing, like let's say you're a Menards employee, I'm thinking of one in particular, and you have a Menards employee next to you and you're sipping coffee, you're on a five minute break, Contending for the faith looks like looking at that person and saying, hey, do you go to church anywhere? Oh, no, I don't go to church anywhere. I I used to a long time ago. Why'd you stop going? And then that person starts to explain, well, man, honestly, I just think Christians are hypocrites. Really? What what do you mean by that? And then then you get into a conversation where you're leading them into believing truth. You're not leaving them to die and go to hell. You are speaking speaking truth over them. It is uncomfortable. It's awkward. Some of us are sweating right now thinking about that conversation. And that's okay. But I will tell you this, the joy you feel after having that conversation is unmatched because you are communing with Jesus as you are having that conversation. Now, some of us, we are contending for the one true faith. And this is where I bring caution. Instead of asking the question, How can you say there is one true faith? Maybe you need to ask the question, how are you going to say that? Because some of us are probably feeling a little bit, like right this moment, we're feeling pretty high on ourselves. Because like, yeah, I contend for faith all the time on Facebook. Some some of us are like, yeah, oh, I contend for faith in my workplace. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we need to ask ourselves, are we going with the right motive and desire? Is our desire for them to know the truth of the gospel found in our love of Jesus Christ and Christ's love for us? Or is our desire for them to be bested in an argument? How are you going and contending for the faith? Are you you painting a picture that Christians are prideful, self-righteous, hateful, bitter people? What face are you putting on the church? Are you putting a, a, a beautiful, loving face on the church or are you putting an ugly face on the church?
Because I'll tell you, if you go on Facebook and you read some of the things that are being said, it does not look like people loving them as Christ loved the church. And, and yes, are we supposed to be confident in what we, uh, in what we say? Yes. Are we, are we supposed to say the hard truth? Yes, but you can always do it in a way that honors Jesus. Let's look at Colossians chapter four, verse five through six. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech, listen, this is very important. Let your speech always, always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Because I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you guys this, that, that the, your posture towards someone is gonna communicate way more than your clutch creation argument. And if you look at Jesus's life, if you look at his ministry, the majority of his ministry was spent loving people and healing their, their diseases. And there was a small portion of him contending for the faith with the Pharisees. Actually, Emily was just telling me, my wife was just telling me this recently, and this is where we're gonna close, but my wife was just telling me this recently that there's a guy who's an atheist who uh, was really good friends. And I'm probably going to butcher this a little bit, but I, I, you'll get the gist of it. But this guy was an, like an atheist or at the very least an agnostic, but he was kind of an apologist for it. And he became like friends with Tim Keller uh, and Pastor Tim Keller, who, who passed away not too long ago. And, and the, he was like quoted as saying, like, I'm, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss I'm going to miss Pastor Keller. And is the guy saved yet? No. But what, what does he remit? He's going to miss him, not because of his apologetical arguments, but, but because of the way he conducted himself as a friend to this guy that doesn't know Jesus. That's what he remembers about Pastor Tim Keller. So today, here's the, the conclusion. This is, this is the, the takeaway. So first, ask God today as we close. The band's going to come up here in a few minutes. But ask God today, pray for a love that for those around you that you will not stay silent about the one true faith. Ask God for that kind of compassion and love that he had for you. Beg him for that. See the people around you as souls that can be saved in Jesus Christ, not as people to compete with. Point number two, or conclusion number two, guard your family by daily walking in the truth of God's word. Father, spiritually lead your home. Let today be the last day that you're not the spiritual leader of your home. Step into that role. Pursue God. Love your family. Sacrifice for them. Model forgiveness. Third, contend for the one true faith and do so with grace, mercy, and love. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, most of all, Father, we are for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ today, for all of us who are followers of Christ, God, thank you that you didn't leave us in lies. Thank you, God, you did not leave us to, to false gospel messages that we once believed, that we could earn our salvation somehow. God, thank you for not leaving me there, God. God, thank you for confronting me with the truth of the gospel that I have no hope apart from Christ. 
Father, I pray today for the salvation of individuals in this room that have not trusted in your son, Jesus, Lord, that they would see that there is no other path. There's no other way apart from Christ. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us where we have been silent on the gospel. God, convict us, show us, give us the face of someone in our life. Let us not be able to sleep tonight because we keep seeing this person's face and we know we're supposed to be bold and brave and go speak the truth, to contend for their souls, God. God, give us that heart today. Lead us to to have that kind of love for the people around us, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you would bless this time of worship as, as we sing truth. We are reminded of truth, God. And we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.